Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, June 7th. June is Pride Month. We begin with a focus on an organization making a difference in our community and across the globe. We learn about a very ambitious program called the Calgary Rainbow Railroad Station. Should athletes be punished for not being accessible to their fans through mainstream media outlets? We dig into that topic with sports economist Moshe Lander. For over 34 years, Calgary's Children's Cottage Society has helped thousands of children from families in crisis. Now they need our help. We speak with Patty Kilgallen, CEO of the Children's Cottage Society on their expansion plan and what you can do to help out. And finally, she is one proud hockey mom. And why wouldn't she be? Her son just earned gold at the World Championships. We speak with Fran Anderson-Dolan, one of Jarrett Anderson-Dolan's moms, on what the win means to she and her family. As part of Pride Month, which it is the month of June, we're highlighting organizations that do important work for the LGBTQ plus community and beyond. Joining us now, Kelly Ernst, who is president of End of the Rainbow Foundation. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. A lot of people maybe haven't heard of the organization. So just give us, a, if you can, to start off, we'll get a, a brief outline of the organization itself before we break down some of the specific work that you and your team do. Yeah, the End of the Rainbow Foundation was set up to create programs that um, weren't running anywhere else um, in the Calgary area. Um, and so we offer a number of different services. And one of our key services is the Calgary Rainbow Railroad Station, um, which tries to bring um, persecuted LGBT people in um, other countries outside of Canada and bring them to Canada to make sure that they're safe. So, and we do other things as well. We offer support groups. We um, help people with domestic violence and um, that type of thing. So, um, we're fairly busy and um, 99% of what we do is all done by volunteers. Mm. Kelly, you know, the Calgary Rainbow Railroad Station, it might be shocking to some that it's actually illegal to be gay in some countries in 2021 still. Uh, so, so tell us uh, about the people you help. Can you give us some example of, of, uh, of, of an individual you've helped over the years? Yeah, you're, you're right. Unfortunately, in over 70 countries in the world, it's illegal to be gay. And um, in a number of those countries, people can be put to death simply um, for being identified as being gay or, or lesbian. So the people that we serve um, are... Uh, the people that are impacted by um, that type of criminalization. And so we get people that have had death threats, that have had credit, that have been attempted to be murdered, horrendous torture, horrendous violence that they have experienced. Um, They've been imprisoned by the state uh, very often, or they've been imprisoned by community. Um, So in some in some of those countries, they don't have um, rule of law, and so the community will actually be the police, judge, jury, and prisoners, and and um, imprison them in, in people's homes and that type of thing. So the types of persecution that we see is really real, and the trauma that um, they have is just absolutely horrendous. So I, I have stories that would curl your hair. Mm. Um, so those are the type of people that we're trying to bring to Canada and um, out of the um, persecution that they're um, feeling and uh, receiving in their countries of origin. 
Kelly, talk to us about the Rainbow Railroad process. What does that look like and how does somebody in another country get in touch with you? So what what happens is um, they'll contact us directly or they'll contact one of our partner organizations um, and that starts the process of trying to get them out of the country. So, um, for example, Rainbow Railroad in Toronto will help people sort of get to the Canadian border and then they sometimes hand it to the baton to us um, and we then resettle them here in Calgary um, and um, so that's a, a long involved process um, it has to work with the Canadian government um, to make sure that they're a, a credible refugee um, and then once they get here we have um, sponsorship groups that set them up in housing get all of their basic needs um, um, attended to um, we sometimes make sure they're being taught English, get them a job, and um, all of those things that you need to settle here in Canada. And we also make sure they have trauma support too. So for the first year that they're here, very often um, while learning English and trying to get a job, we're, we're trying to also um, address their issues that they've um, developed because of the um, threats and the uh, torture and whatnot that they received. So um, it's a really important program um, and highly successful. Um, and uh, um, we've also been really impacted this year by COVID. So um, the, of course, COVID hasn't stopped the refugees from wanting to get here, mm-hmm. but COVID is, has really slowed to a trickle the refugees that have been able to get over the border. So, um, but we know that um, that's going to change come September 1st. We've been told by the government to get ready because we're going to get really busy. So, That date is circled on the calendar. Before, before we get there, obviously, August, we're looking at pride celebrations and perhaps much more uh, wide open than last year because of COVID-19. What will that look like for your foundation? Well, every year we have a fundraiser during Pride. And so um, last year we had to put it on hold. And instead of having a big party, what we did is we brought the party to people's patios. So we created um, party packages for people. This year we're opening it up again to having an in-person party on August the 30th. And it'll be at Old Beautiful Brewery. And um, what we're hoping to do is um, have a um, COVID willing and restrictions willing, a uh, um, resurrection of uh, having 600 people get together to um, help us um, create donations um, to support the Calgary Rainbow Railroad Station and all the refugees that we're trying to bring. Well, let's hope that we can do that gathering and, and be together again to, to do that. So when we do raise money, for when you know we, we all donate to help out your organization, what exactly does that money go to? That money is put into a reserve and all of it goes to support um, refugee resettlement. So it takes approximately $20,000 um, to resettle a refugee here in, in Calgary. Um, and so all of that money um, is um, directed toward that resettlement. So it's cost like we have to support them for a minimum of 12 months. So it's costs like paying for their, making sure their rent gets paid and food and clothing. Um, so 100% of that money goes to those types of costs. Kelly, if people want to learn more about the organization, where can we go? 
Um, go to endoftherainbow.ca and you'll be able to learn a little bit more about the Calgary Rainbow Railroad Station and our other services and you can donate there um, and it's all outlined there for you and if you want to get involved and volunteer you can even fill out an off- uh, volunteer application. So um, this whole process takes a ton of volunteers as well and so um, the more we have the the better we can uh, assist people from getting um, to Canada and out of the persecution that they're um, experiencing. Thank you so much for joining us. You and your team, you do great work. Really appreciate your time, Kelly. Well, thank you very much, Sue and Andy. Really appreciate it. Happy Pride Month. You too. Bye-bye. That is Kelly Ernst, president of End of the Rainbow Foundation. And again, you can go endoftherainbow.ca for more details. Last week, international tennis star Naomi Osaka announced she was pulling out of the French Open. This came after being fined $15,000 U.S. for skipping the post-match news conference after her first-round victory, saying she wouldn't participate due to mental health reasons. Earlier this week, she released a statement revealing she had suffered long bouts of depression since the U.S. Open in 2018. That brings about a couple of questions. Should athletes be required to appear in press conferences representing their teams or at international competitions? And could their refusal to take part have repercussions on their careers moving forward? To discuss further, we're joined by Moshe Lander, professor of economics at Concordia University with a specialization in sports. Good morning to you, Moshe. Good morning. So so what is your opinion? Should athletes be required to appear in these conferences? You know, it's such a complicated question. Uh, and, of course, Naomi Osaka's decision uh, has kind of brought it to the forefront. The, the fact is that on a certain level, it's part of the job requirement. And so I'm sure this part of the job that you don't like or part of my job that I don't like. But, you know, the good outweighs the bad, and that's why we do it. Um, the thing is that those press conferences can be very wide-ranging and and. For Naomi Osaka, she kind of made it wide-ranging where she was speaking out on social issues. So for now to say that she doesn't want to answer those questions, well, if you want to just stick to tennis questions, stick to tennis questions, and that should certainly be part of the job. Whether you have to range outside of that, no, uh, unless you invite it, right? Interesting point. She's had tons of support from other athletes, but does this affect Naomi Osaka's career moving forward? Probably not. I, I think there was a bit of a, a backlash uh, against her, her withdrawal. Uh, part of that is being pointed at her, but part of it is also being pointed at the French Open for not being more supportive. And I, I think what we're going to see maybe going forward is that these press conferences that had been wide-ranging, and you know, think of things like the way that things got out of hand at the Super Bowl press conferences, uh, those types of things are probably going to be reined back in. And so if you want to stick to asking about a particular match or an opponent, that should be fair game, and that should be a requirement as part of the job description. Uh, outside of that, if you don't ask, then they shouldn't have to tell. Let's talk about, you know, the responsibility of the athlete. Uh, do they owe anything to their fans when it comes to, you know, speaking or answering questions? Or is their job, and, and should it be strictly what's on the field and what they provide as far as not just sports entertainment, but entertainment? You know, I, I'm reminded of Charles Barkley years ago uh, making the statement that uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not supposed to be your child's role model, right? Like you're the parent, you teach them morals, you teach them ethics. If your child wants to watch me play and be successful, that's great. And if they want to try and pattern their play after me, fine. Uh, but, you know, I, I shouldn't have to uh, raise your kid or I shouldn't have to speak on these issues if I choose not to. So I, I, I think that, you, you know, what you're going to see going forward is that Every athlete now has access to social media. If they want to broadcast their views on things, if they want to discuss more intimately with their fans, they have plenty of platforms to do it. 
I think the idea now is that, you know, press conferences should be reduced to merely just the idea of sharing about an upcoming opponent or answering about a particular decision within a match or a, a, a game. Mm-hmm. And beyond that, I, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of long-term uh, consequences that come out of this beyond just that's the way that we're going to start to view athletes going forward is uh, on whatever level they want to interact with us. And if they want to keep the distance, then fine. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It brings up a whole lot of thoughts as, as you're talking. Like, I mean, the issue of being a role model, that's on us to, to have created these figures, these sports figures to be role models. And, and you're right, you know, they didn't necessarily go into that job to do it. Some want to be a role model and some don't choose to be. And, and that's a really interesting point. And then I think, too, about, you know, women when they're, especially after tennis matches, oh, you know, why don't you do a little spin and a twirl and, and let us see your tennis dress? It should just strictly be questions about the sport and enough of this foolishness that, that we make them talk about absolutely you know and, and with with Wimbledon coming up right Wimbledon is famous for having the dress code of uh, what men and women were allowed to wear and you, you know that I, I think we're starting to kind of realize that through some of the athletes that are comfortable speaking out on social issues or that are comfortable going beyond just discussing match and opponent, they're raising awareness of some of these issues mm-hmm. and so I, I think that the idea of that athletes that just want to be athletes should be just that and nothing more uh, is fine. But they do have to answer to their athletic performance. That's mm. part of the job. And to those athletes that want to be something beyond athletic, whether it's you know Aaron Rodgers co-hosting Jeopardy or whether it's LeBron James speaking out on social issues, fine, if that's what they want to do. But they can't turn around at that point and then say, I don't want to now have to answer A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. Well, once you open yourself up to that and once you provide that, that link, it's kind of hard to back off and say, yeah, but not now. Very interesting points, Moshe. Thank you so much for your time. No worries, anytime. That is Moshe Lander, economics professor, Concordia University with a specialization in sports. Ladies, have you been feeling... Hot, hot, hot. And it has nothing to do with the weather. It's an uncomfortable fact of life for women of a certain age. Menopause, and with menopause comes a dreaded hot flash. Can anything be done to treat or at the very least minimize the discomfort due to hot flashes? With his thoughts, we're joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning to you, Dr. J. Good morning. In the words of Sudiel, somebody please help me. (laughs) Please. There is help. Oh, there <laughs> is. <laughs> I, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> leave it at that. That's it. That's Whoa. all you're going to give me. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on, help. <laughs> we need more. This is Dr. personal. <laughs> so, so perimenopausal flushing, menopausal flushing, extremely common. We're talking seventy-five percent, eighty percent of women, but very few actually come seeking medical help, which is the interesting part. Now, we say about forty percent of women in that range would have symptoms that are moderate or severe enough that we could actually intervene in an active way. Okay. So how's that for an intro? That's great. So tell me more. (laughs) Tell me more. So there are, uh, basically this is a lack of estrogen. So when you hit perimenopause, when you hit menopause, uh, estrogen, which is uh, the main female hormone, drops down and in menopause essentially uh, is non-existent. And the blood vessels do not like that. They're, They're used to having a good level and they respond beautifully to that. They stay healthy. Uh, and when you take that level away, they, they react and do bad things. Uh, and hot flushing is one of those manifestations of the blood vessels um, not liking that lack of estrogen. 
So we our options medically, uh, they're sort of the, the sort of the lifestyle things we talk about. So I think the biggest underutilized uh, method is exercise. So women who generally exercise regularly generally manage their hot flushes much, much better. And I, I sort of always thought of that as if you get your blood vessels used to sweating and being hot, they, they actually are used to it. Where You know, having a, a cooler temperature in the house, fans, air conditioning, wearing clothing in layers, watching spicy foods. So spicy mm. foods can actually make you flush. So if you're flushing and eating spicy foods, that's a bad combination. You're not kidding. Alcohol, caffeine, nicotine are all aggravants. So Sunny really likes their... They're, they're wine, they're smoking, they're coffee. Be careful with that. Now it's not the time to indulge. It's you're, not time to cut a, back a you're bit. You're being a downer, Dr. J. I know that. Is, about that. Is, there anything we, <laughs> is there anything we can take? I, I, I totally get yeah. and I, I know that the, there are things we can certainly take away. You're right. Are there things right. that we can take or add? Yeah, so that now we're talking the, the actual interventions that are... The, so we have medical interventions which are typically hormonal or non-hormonal. The hormonal ones are by far the most effective. So if you give back estrogen, it is exceedingly effective at knocking out flushing. Uh, The problem with estrogen is women are terrified of it. Mm -hmm. So we had a study many, many decades ago, which put the fear of God in everyone. Um, For most parts, it's been refuted. And and it's really the only significant risk appeared to be in very elderly women in their 70s and 80s. The women struggling with flushing typically are in the early 50s. So unfortunately, that data from that study put a scare in everything. And now even at age 50, we're scared to use hormones when, to be honest, it's probably safe for a lot of women. And it's usually a very self-limited course. Um, So hormonal variations. The risks are clot, uh, breast cancer, and heart attack stroke. But at age 50, the risk in most women is actually low enough that we should consider it strongly there was a before we let you go was there one other thing quickly you can tell us yeah so the non-hormonal would be um there's a lot of alternative therapies out there uh, women will try all kinds of things as long as it does no harm absolutely you know go for it and this is your black cohosh uh your flaxseed oil your Mm -hmm. you know evening primrose oil anything goes but consider hormonal therapy uh, if it's really, really symptomatic, go see your doctor. Go talk to your doc. As always, great advice. Talk to your family Thank doctor. Thank you. And we talk to you. All Thank right. You. I, hope, I hope that helps, Sue. <laughs> Thank you. We talk to you each and every Monday. Thank you very much, Dr. Jablonski. Okay. You bet, sir. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. <music> Children's Cottage Society has helped thousands of children from families in crisis but with growing demand, Children's Cottage needs to expand. To tell us what they're up to, we're joined by Patty Kilgallen, the Chief Executive Officer of the Children's Cottage Society. Good morning to you, Patty. Good morning, Andy. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, you've uh, got a very ambitious campaign now underway. Tell us about it. We're very excited today to announce that uh, we're going to be opening and getting ready to build a new crisis nursery in Calgary. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, every year, we're able to help 1,200 children um, at our crisis nursery in Bridgeland. It's a place where parents can come to and bring their children that when they have a crisis, some sort of problem that prevents them from taking care of their children. And every year, we turn away 1,900 children mm. whose parents are unable to care for them during this extreme time of stress. So we have a solution. And we want to help those 1,900 children. 
So we bought land in Montgomery on Home Road in northwest Calgary. And we're going to build a multi-purpose building that will include a crisis nursery where we can care for another 20 children every year. And we also are going to increase the age that we can care for. And so instead of up to the age of eight, we'll include nine-year-olds. Wow. I, I know it must be heartbreaking, Patty, to, to have to turn away these children and these families. So what, is this something that's been done before, or are you kind of coming together with an idea that, that's pretty new? Well, you know, we, we've had a crisis nursery for 34 years, but the reason we need to expand this is because we we just have no other room, and we just we're in a crisis in Calgary where turning away these children is not acceptable. We really worry about what happens to these children, and so the expansion, the need to do that, is our first um, expansion um, in Calgary to this degree. But bringing in you know a bunch of services under one roof is is that the unique part of it? That is very unique, and so it's a really large building because what we wanted to see happen is that the families who, when they come to us, they really show that show us and tell us that they want to make some changes, and they need that support right away. But when we refer to other agencies, sometimes, um, you know, they need um, mental health support. They, they're looking for all kinds of other uh, type of um, solutions, and we make those referrals to other agencies who have long waiting lists. So instead of having that wait happen and uh, losing the opportunity to help the families when they need it most, we want to bring all these agencies in under one roof. And so, so we're looking to bring in organizations like CUPS and Calgary Counseling Centre and Families Matter and Calgary Reads and so many more who will be able to help right at the time uh, when children are needing that help and parents do as well. We also want to add a therapeutic child development area. And then most importantly, we want to make sure that elders are able to, going to have a space in our building. 40% of the children that we see are Indigenous, and we want to make sure that elders are there to support the parents and the children and to have a ceremonial room where we can have smudges so that we're being, going to be able to honor the cultural needs of that population that we see are, are entrusting us uh, to care for their children when they're having um, issues in their lives. Mm-hmm. Big time for the society. Thank you for sharing uh, your time with us, Patty. We'll direct people to childrenscottage.ab.ca. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Is Patty Kilgallen, Chief Executive Officer, Calgary or sorry, Children's Cottage Society. Calgary-born hockey player Jarrett Anderson Dolan is part of Team Canada that won gold yesterday at the World Hockey Championship. His two moms watching the game back home here in Calgary were over the moon with that overtime win. And we have the pleasure of chatting with Fran Anderson Dolan this morning. We'll see if she's calmed down yet. Hey, good morning, Fran. Hey, good morning. How are you? Excellent. How are you today? Hey, Sue, it's a golden morning, right? Yeah, you know it is. My gosh, it must have been so exciting for you and your wife, Nancy, to be wa- sadly not at the game, but watching it. Did you Did you even sit down throughout the game at all? Well, Sue, so I'll tell you the truth. We kind of watch the game separately. We have all our lives with Jared. So we kind of text each other. Nancy was at her sister's and I was here on my own, which we do for 25 years now. And I was. we were both crying, bawling our eyes out. I bet. Are you too pumped up? Is that why you can't be near each other? 
Well, I watch the game differently, right? Mm. Nancy's a cheerleader. I'm more watching, you know, what goes on on the ice. You're technical. Exactly. <laughs> Let's, uh, He's spiritual. I'm technical. Yeah, yeah. Let's focus on Jared for a second, Fred, because Sue sure. tells me that there was no way whatsoever that Jared would not have hockey in his life, lifelong from a young age. Tell us about his passion. Oh, his passion, I could tell at six months. Dead serious. I put him in front of the Montreal Canadiens, which used to be my favorite team. Uh, a game on TV, and I swear to God, he sat there mesmerized and watched just about the whole game. It was funny, Fran, because I remember him from a little boy. He always had one of those mini sticks in his hand, yeah. always, just <laughs> crawling around at the rinks when we'd be at hockey games, and there's this kid with this hockey stick. Absolutely. Wow. Okay, so you guys might be in the record books now. First lesbian couple to have uh, a son win the world championships during Pride Month. How do you celebrate with Jarrett when he gets home? Back? This is just too too exciting for everybody, I'm well, sure. Well, my God, I have no idea. To tell you the truth, I don't even know where Jarrett is right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, so, that's no, crazy. We just plan on celebrating, and it'll be great to have our family back together again. Yeah. He left last November, so it's been a long, you know, like everyone out there, a long six to eight months not seeing him. It's got to be surreal uh, for Jared, and I'm sure you're excited to get him home and, uh, you know, hopefully with uh, COVID done, give him a big hug, um, in the sense that this is this is life-changing, isn't it? Oh, absolutely it is. He's put himself in another level. I mean, I'm sure he's going to celebrate this for a week or two or three. So it's going to be wonderful for him. Remind us where he's playing in the NHL and, and how well he's doing, Fran. Yeah, he's playing uh, with the LA Kings. He got his first NHL goal, which I'm not too sure if this championship has stepped that up, but I don't think so. Um, he's playing fabulous down there. He loves it there. Uh, the Kings have been so kind. So, yeah, it's so fun, so surreal watching your son on TV on the NHL. I bet it is. Uh, you know, congratulations to him, to you and Nancy. I mean, you guys, I'm sure you uh, you gave up a lot of life. I know you did, driving around and making sure that he yeah. was at ho- hockey for forever, and it sure has paid off for everybody, hasn't it? It sure has. But, you know, not, well, not one moment of regret, so it's been amazing. Just tons of little adventures he's taken us on. I bet. Well, congratulations to all of you and to Jarrett when he gets back home. Thanks for joining us, Fran. Thank you both. Take care. You too. That is Fran Anderson-Dolan, one of the moms of Jarrett Anderson-Dolan. You heard that name lots. Part of the Team Canada win at the World Hockey Championship. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.